McBride. Thanks for joining us on the Health Insurance Store podcast, where we take on the entrenched status quo of our nation's healthcare system. Our goal is to stimulate transparent conversation on everything associated with healthcare. We want to guide our listeners through a system filled with deliberate obfuscation while protecting your hard-earned money. We appreciate you being part of our initiative to bring clarity and compassion to healthcare. Welcome, 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 everyone, to the first ever Health Insurance Store podcast. We're really excited to be starting our journey here, and we have a a great guest with us today, uh, Timothy Witt. I'm going to call him Tim. Uh, He's with Watson Mundorf Brooklyn Sepik here in uh, Connellsville, where our home office is. And today we're going to sit with Tim and and discuss um, how seniors need to be prepared for what lies ahead, um, including a very important topic, which we get questions about all the time here at the health insurance store. How do we protect ourselves? How do we prepare in the event that we end up in uh, a long-term care nursing home or need uh, long-term care? So welcome, Tim. Appreciate you coming over today and joining us. Hey, thank you, Aaron. This is an exciting opportunity. Really glad to be part of it for this inaugural podcast. So thank you very much. I know people, much appreciate people can't see me right now, but I got a big grin on my face. <laughs> We've been planning on this. I've been talking about doing these podcasts for a long time and uh, it's actually happening. So we're going to try to do these a couple times a month. Um, so we hope you join us in the future. So let's get to, to you, Tim. Um, how long have you been an attorney? I've been an attorney for 10 years now. 10 years. Okay. So, so it's a I, I, even number. I think I've known you since, you know, I think That's maybe I, when you first started, I, I started to come, come to see you. Yep, so yep. 10 years and, um, well, tell us what, why did you want to become an attorney? That's a, that's a good question. So, um, initially I wanted to be a teacher and then, you know, I, I, I kind of got disillusioned with that a little bit. And then ultimately just given the skill set, it plays well with being an attorney, yeah. um, working with people, Absolutely. Um, interesting sets of facts, applying you know rules in the law to those and, and just trying to help people out. So, well, you're going to teach us right now, hopefully. <laughs> so everybody, you know, stay tuned for, for what we're going to discuss here. Um, a little bit more about your background. Um, Tim, where did you go to school? I went to undergrad at Grove city college. Um, it's a small Christian liberal arts college, just North of, um, Pittsburgh. Uh, most, Famously known for the outlets that are right there along 79. I, I went so. to a camp there my senior year, my senior year of high school. Perfect. I perfect. Went there. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. What was the, they had an area that you couldn't walk in the grass. The, what was that the called? The quad. Yeah, the quad. that's right. You're not allowed the to quad. walk in the grass that, there. That's sacred grass. Sacred so. grass. And where did you go to law school? Law school was the Dickinson School of Law, which is the law school affiliated with Penn State. Okay. So Penn State awesome. University is law school. Three years at University Park for that. I mean, you kind of told us what you, what you like, uh, you know, about your job and what made you go into this, but what, what do you like best about it? I mean, really, what, what's what's neat about it is it's for there, the, all the situations are unique, and and I like truly working with people and their situations because they're all different scenarios to try and figure out what works best for them. Um, it's just really satisfying to be able to see people come and they have an issue or they have a concern, and for a lot of folks, it's it's a concern that they've had for a really long time. People who sleep over it, you know, there's a lot of consternation about what do we do, what what, what can we do, what should we do, um, and then ultimately to to talk it through and figure out, okay, you know, this is what the law is on this, this is what your options are, um, what's going to work best for you in your situation, what's going to make you most comfortable, what's going to give you peace of mind. So that's interesting that you say that because that's what I like about my job sometimes is when you solve a problem for somebody, and we come to that the end of and where we solved it. Right. And you just see the, 
you can just see their their posture just <laughs> that's exactly right you yeah. can just see their posture change you can see their attitude change you can see a smile on their face that oh my gosh we solved this problem and lifted this burden um and that's great that's it, that's what i love about my job too and, and and that's so great that you know not not a lot of us get to say we love our job yes right that's exactly and, right and those of us that do are, are really blessed so let's get in again to basically what we're going to talk about here is elder law a lot or what people um need to know about it and you're going to get your elder law certification soon yes and so first let's tell us what qualifies you you mentioned to me that you qualify for that what does qualify you to get that certification because it's not like you could have gotten it right out of law school correct no, that's correct that's correct so um the elder law certification to become a certified elder law attorney it's through a national foundation um, that, that deals with the elder law and there are certain requirements for being um, a certified elder law attorney. So you have to have practiced elder law for a certain period of time, um, which is why you can't get it right out of law school. And a certain proportion of your practice has to be dedicated to elder law and elder law issues. Um, and it's a, obviously not an insubstantial percentage of, of, of a practice that has to be dedicated to that. Um, and then you also have to go through a formal testing process to you know, confirm and, and certify that you have the requisite knowledge too. Um, practice and, and that you're competent with respect to elder law. So even if you have the the percentage, like you said, of your practice that's that's doing it, you can't just be handed that certification. You're going to have to go and take that test. Exactly. I, I'm assuming that's not easy thing no. to do. <laughs> no, unless it's something that you know, you're doing all the time and it's you're dedicating a lot of work hours and you're really wrestling with those issues, it's not something that, that people would typically undertake. Well, good luck. We're looking forward to you to getting that certification. Thank but meantime, you. you're well experienced in this, in, in that type of, um, the, the, all the ins and outs of, of elder law. Um, so, you know, we encourage anybody who has questions about this to call uh, Tim. Again, he's at Watson, Mundorf, Brooks, and Sepik. Uh, their phone number is 724-626-8882. And his, his uh, email is twitt. W-I-T-T -T at WMBlaw.com. Feel free to call us here at the health insurance store and we can pass it that information on as well or, or email me. We'll give out the health insurance store contact information uh, here shortly. So before we get into the nursing home topic, Tim, again, which I mentioned is a huge concern for our clients. Can we talk about some more basic documents and their importance? Because I know that many people don't have some of these things. So you did these for me and let's start with a power of attorney. Yes which, I mean, clarify this for me, but it's a super important document at almost any age, is it not? Yeah, it is, it is. Um, I, I, whenever you're talking about estate planning, there's three documents that everybody really should have, regardless of what your situation is, what age you are. And that's a, a power of attorney for financial purposes, a power of attorney for healthcare purposes, and a will. Um, and you're exactly right. Those powers of attorney are, are crucial documents because those documents basically appoint somebody to step into your shoes if you're not ever able to make financial or healthcare decisions. And you can imagine where that could come into play. I mean, thankfully that doesn't happen to everybody, but you know, accidents happen, health issues happen. And so it could come up. And if, if the steps haven't been taken to, to execute a valid power of attorney, you know, the only other route is a guardianship, which typically is not a, a good use of resources. Yeah, I, and time. I, I wanna talk about, we'll get into that, you know, what happens if somebody doesn't get a power of attorney or didn't have one? We'll get to that in just a minute. I'm shocked how many people of my clients 65 and over don't have one of these, let alone, you said, everybody should have one. I yeah. mean, as soon as you hit 18, yeah. as soon as you become a legal adult, then 
what you're saying is everybody should have exactly a power of attorney. Nobody financial, legally. especially at I mean at 18, you're not going to have a whole lot of money to worry about yeah. financial power of attorney. But you could still end up in a coma, or you could still end up not being able to communicate, possibly due to an accident, or you know who knows what else. So, um, so married couples should definitely have a POA for each other. Is that correct? That that would typically make sense. Um, I, in the vast majority of situations where I have couples um, that I'm working with, typically they're going to select each other unless there's a reason why they're not selecting each other as their agent under a power of attorney. So, okay. you know, an example might be of one of them is, isn't particularly you know, up on the finances. You know, they have another child who has specific expertise in that. They may not use each other and just use that child as their agent. Um, but for most people, they would want to use each other as their agents under a power of attorney for finances and health. Gotcha. Health and so people should have a contingent power of attorney, correct? Yes, too. Yes. So it's not I just that, recommend that. So, so it's not just that I have one, I'm my wife's power of attorney. She's mine. We probably want to have a child or another relative or a brother, sister, good friend that can also be contingent. That's exactly right. Um, cause once again, things happen. Right. Uh, you could be in the no same way. So, so my wife and I could be in the car accident at the same time. We mm -hmm. could both be, um, end up in, in critical care, um, or be incapacitated of, of some sort. So and that, that, that's exactly the kind of instance where that would come in handy. And, and when things like that happen, you know, let's say it's just one person that's in an accident, but that's who somebody has designated as their agent. The last thing you want to worry about is, oh, now I've got to go run into my attorney to get these documents changed because the person I had named before can't do it anymore. There's typically more important things you want to worry about that point that point than than running to your attorney to get some documents. And, and then maybe you know, if my spouse is in such bad medical shape, I'm so shook up, maybe I can't even wrap my head around what decision should be made, possibly the stress of, of what we're dealing with. Maybe somebody else could come in kind of from the outside and said, hey, maybe we ought to consider these things. And that's also where the contingent could come in. Yes, okay. definitely helpful in that instance too. So can we back up a little bit and explain exactly what a power of, having a power of attorney. So I'm power of attorney for my wife, let's say. Yep. What is, what does that mean? So power of attorney for a wife, um, let's take a step back to in Pennsylvania, okay. Uh, you can't act on behalf of somebody else and nobody can act on your behalf unless you authorize them to do that. Um, even a spouse. Even a spouse. That's a big misnomer, I think, right. um, or a big myth that spouses can just sign for each other. But in Pennsylvania, that's not the case at all. Um, and so without a power of attorney document in place, there's no way for somebody to act with it, whether it's a financial decision that has to be made, whether it's just a simple banking transaction, filing taxes, you know, filing insurance claims, whatever it is, nobody can do that on your behalf typically unless you have a power of attorney document in place. Same thing with healthcare decisions. Right. We, we deal with that even calling. This is what's crazy with HIPAA, mm -hmm. right? So a husband is sick in the hospital, can't really communicate. Wife calls the insurance company to ask a question. The wife, they won't give any information to the wife of the person who's in the hospital, which is crazy to me, yeah. but a power of attorney would take care of that, yes. correct? Yeah, a well-drafted power of attorney is gonna address that specific issue to include a specific authorization um, that, that the health insurance company or the, uh, the, the healthcare provider would not run afoul of HIPAA by disclosing that information to an agent. Um, and, and that's why that's so important, you know, but in, 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 for healthcare decisions, there is a default rule that certain health 
family members can help make healthcare decisions. But it's problematic to rely on that for a lot of reasons. How do you people verify who what family members are? are, are what if the two closest? family members disagree? Exactly. Those sorts of situations come up, as you might imagine, all the time, which is why these sorts of documents, these powers of attorney, do become so important. So you mentioned three documents, a, a will, a power of attorney. Is the third one a living will? Well, the, what was there's, the third one? There's, there are two types of powers of attorney. So one's a financial okay. power of attorney. One's medical. And then one's a medical. And, and usually what I do is I include a living will component in that medical power gotcha. of attorney. Gotcha, okay. So those are consolidated. And you did that. I know you did that for me and you yes. asked me a bunch yep. of questions. If I were on life support, if I were, right? What, exactly. How do you want, How what what do, you, do I want to happen to me in the event that... Um, what, what are those things? I, I don't recall everything that you asked me to. What are the sort few of the questions? There's end stage medical condition situation um, decisions. So if, if someone is ever in a situation where they can't make a medical decision, but it's an end stage where, you know, the doctors are saying, hey, look, we can't do anything about this. Um, it's, it's, it's nothing that someone's going to recover from. Would they want things like CPR and, and chemo and radiation and um, dialysis, because the theory is that that's not going to actually help any underlying condition. It might prolong, you know, suffering and pain. And 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 so, if 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 people um, would not want to continue to receive those treatments, this document would enable and confirm that that's their wish. So, if somebody had a power of attorney without that living will embedded in it, that then then what? Well, the the default in Pennsylvania is that continuing care and treatments have to continue unless there's a, a reflection of, a of living will. somebody's evident or intent to the contrary. Gotcha. So that's why it's so important to have the yeah. living will portion yeah. embedded into that medical power of attorney. So let's take the critical, let's take the critical, um, I'm in critical condition mm -hmm. or I'm on life support. Yep. There's no power of attorney and my wife's on life support. I can't say pull the plug. It becomes a very difficult situation at that point because there's nothing in writing that actually evidences so, what you were. So, so, are. but so as the spouse, I say I don't want to see my wife in this situation. It doesn't matter, right? Does it go to court? What happens? It, it that's a practical question of what actually happens at the hospital at that point, um, and I've seen that play out in different circumstances. But it's never something that you want to leave to to chance, so to speak. Right. To you know the the. To the to the whims of maybe the staff that are there at the or hospital, or the hospital's going to protect their protect their uh, themselves exactly from from p potential lawsuits. So I'm sure they have a protocol for that yes. that says no, we're not pulling any plug until somebody orders us to yeah. a judge, right, or or somebody like that. Is that what that's, it can come that's to? The last that's the last recourse is to actually get a, a judge's order. Um, and you can imagine scenarios where that becomes a big deal where, for example, there's multiple family members, let's say it's not a spouse, but there's children and there's no living will, no medical power of attorney. And so it's not clear who's going to make any decisions. So and if one child says, disagrees. no, I don't want the, I don't want the plug pulled. And one child says, oh yes, we do. And the spouse says, yes, we do. And then it could become a big, it could, it could get very, very ugly, very, very quickly. Yes. Wow. And so that could drag on. I mean, how long could something like that drag on? I mean, it could drag on for months. Typically, there are ways to expedite those sorts of processes, given the fact that it deals with a, oftentimes an emergency health situation. But um, hypothetically, it could drag on for some time. I mean, there are instances so in, in other states where can it's gone for a long time. We can avoid this. Yeah. So typically, I mean, it's not really expensive to do this. No. 
to get these documents, correct? No, it, it's, it's I mean, not. I know it was not expensive at all for me. I was surprised actually how, how reasonable it was and how quickly we could get those documents drawn up and, and filed. I always try to have very standard documents that, you know, are very comprehensive, but they, you know, once again, very standard because right. if, if it needs to work in, in a bunch of different, different situations. So it's typically not something that's cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. um, and most people don't have super unique circumstances that require major modifications or major changes. So, you know, it, it, there's some multiple conversations involved, you know, there's talking about what people's wishes are, what's going to work best for them. But then, you know, getting the documents in place is not, I think I, one visit to the, I think one visit to the office, I think we got pretty much mine all, yeah, all done. Exactly I mean, I think right, we yep. had to add a few things. I know I've brought you some documents from um, some investments I have uh, in case, yep. God forbid, you hold, you know, you hold, you have all that information, so you can give that to, to, um, you know, whoever's handling my state at the time, or to, you know, to take care of my daughter. Um, so, and you didn't charge me anything for that. I mean, no, that was to, 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 to yeah. say here, Tim. Here's some some other documents I think you should have for my file. Um, so, should these types of things do they need to be updated? Um, typically I recommend that people update them when they have major life events and, and that aren't, aren't already taken care of in the documents themselves right. as contingencies. So, you know, a lot of times people, people will update documents whenever they get married, whenever they have children, um, so, whenever there's a, somebody who passes away, you know, those are oftentimes triggers that right. enable people when they change states, sometimes they want to, gotcha. you know, make sure there's a review that the new state's compliant. Um, or it's, uh, their documents are compliant in the new state, but yes. So, so myself, I'm 50. I'm not married. Mm -hmm. If I got married, I'd update them. Let's say I don't get married. I stay in Pennsylvania for the next 15, 20 years. You're good. There's nothing I really need to do. Now, my daughter, when she gets to a certain age, I know we set up. Yes. We set some stuff up for her that when, you know, that she can't get some money until she's 30. Exactly. I think. And then, so maybe when she turns 30, we're going to re, but otherwise, like, let's say a, a married couple, 65 years old, who doesn't have a power of attorney, mm -hmm. they're not going to have a whole lot of life changes. It's not like they're going to. No. So at 65, they can pretty much do these and kind of forget about them. That's exactly right. And that, and that's one of the things that it's really nice to see. People will come in after, you know, oftentimes years of apprehension about getting all of these documents lined up. Um, and then we sit down, we talk about it, we get everything prepared. They come in again, sign everything. And it's just a huge sigh of relief. The number of times I've had people grab my hand after the fact and say, thanks so much. This was something that worried me, worried me for my kids. And it's finally done. I don't have to worry about this anymore. So everybody who, let's be clear here. Everybody needs one who's 18 or older, correct? I recommend it. Yeah. And the cost isn't very. It's, it's, it's not. It's really not. People are always scared of, of, of legal it, costs, but this is not something that it's a quick, easy pro it's yeah. pretty easy, simple process. One or two visits probably at the most right yeah. to the office. Yep. Um, and then you have the peace of mind knowing you don't have to worry about anything. Your kids aren't going to, maybe we're avoiding that family strife. If something like this happens where, where your kids start arguing with each other, or arguing with your, with the other, with one of the parents. I mean, it just sounds like a no brainer to me. It does. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. Is there anything you want to add before we move on to the long-term care about uh, about any of those documents? Um, no, I mean, like you said, it's, it was a really good point that one of the things that those documents do is they eliminate some conflict that can happen sometimes because 
if it's unclear and the documents aren't in place that say, okay, this is the person that I want to make these decisions, or this is the person that I want to handle my estate, the default is that it could be multiple people and they've got to hash it out I've, between each gosh, other. And that can get nasty. You know that quickly. I've seen that happen where you're like, how can a family that was close three months ago be torn apart because they're arguing over who gets what and who, I mean, I've seen that Yeah, friends, you know, when a grandfather, I, it, it can get really ugly. And I guess that's where the will portion of it exactly, comes in. Exactly, exactly. And so there's something else. I mean, again, it's so easy to set up. Um, you know, most of us aren't millionaires that have all things. I mean, it's pretty easy. The house, you know, the house goes here, or the whatever money's left in my investment goes. I mean, we're not in Palm Springs, California, yeah, or Miami right. Beach, where those people have, you know, offshore accounts and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, if you're, if you're pretty you know, middle-class, upper-middle-class people, it's not that, it's it's even less complicated, yeah. correct? And, 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 and most, the thing that complicates estate planning the most for people in their wills and, and other things that they could have, um, like trusts and whatnot, is the federal estate tax. But now that the federal estate tax doesn't even, you know, affect a married couple unless it exceeds, their total value exceeds 22 and a half million, I think the last time I checked, that's not most people, you know? So gotcha. thankfully most yeah, people don't Yeah, I would say that's not most people. That, that sort of complicated planning. Um, they say what are the, the, one per, the 1% in Fayette County, Westmoreland County that we'd probably be talking about the point zero 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 one percent maybe. Right. It might be one person, right? That would it's meet not that many at all. We meet that criteria here. But anyways, okay. So thanks, Tim, for clarifying that. Let's Let's move on to the topic of long-term care. Thanks for listening, folks. Join us again soon as we interview those on the front lines of healthcare, health insurance, Medicare, and our ongoing prescription drug crisis. My name is Aaron Zolbrod, and we look forward to helping you get your best plan at the health insurance store.